through our series today. We've been talking about my church on Sundays, and this will be the third part of this series. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 16, we're going to read from the New King James Version this morning. Matthew 16, and we're going to start in verse 16. Matthew 16 and verse 16, it says, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Simon Barjona, you are blessed, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Everybody say, my church. My church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But notice Jesus said, I will build my church. Everybody say, my church. You got to have a little attitude when you say it. Let's try it. Okay, a little bit better. My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now let's look over at Ephesians. Ephesians 4. You guys responsive this morning? I know you're glad you're here. We're going to have a good time talking about my church today. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, and we're going to start in verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Well, actually, let's start in verse 7. Ephesians 4 and verse 7. It says, But to each one was given grace according to the measure of Christ. Therefore, he says, He ascended on high, and he led captivity captive. And notice, he gave gifts to men. And let's jump down to verse 11. And he himself gave, that's Jesus gave, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things who is the head, which is Christ. And verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the entire body for the edifying of itself in love. Now today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Growing Up. Everybody say, Growing Up. Growing up. Now look at your neighbor and say, you need to grow up. Now look at your other neighbor and say, you need to grow up. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Don't say amen too loud. So we're going to be talking today about growing up. Talking about growing up. What does it mean to grow up as a believer in Jesus? And we're going to continue talking about my church. So it all focuses around the church today. Now let's look back over at Matthew again, 16. And we'll part there. Matthew 16. So as we get started today, we need to... um, talk about some of these things, and I mentioned this the first week, but it's important that you know not just what you believe, but why you believe it. A lot of people do things, especially in the Christian world, and they know what they believe, but if somebody asked them about it, they wouldn't have a good explanation. They would not know why they believe it. That's why a lot of people, and I've used this example before in the quarry, a lot of Christian kids, when they grow up, they know what they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. So that's why when they get to college and a professor who thinks he knows something can talk them out of it because they never knew why they believed it in the first place. Hello, somebody. But if you know why you believe what you believe, you won't be tricked by people who think they're smart. You won't be tricked by people just because they can talk good. You won't be tricked by people just because they had a Ph.D. behind their name if you know why you believe what you believe. And it's important we know why we believe in the church. 
because there's a lot of criticism of the church. There always has been. There always will be. And people are asking today, is church even important anymore? Is it important? Should we go to church? Is the church just organized religion? Why should I be a part of a church? All the church wants is your money anyways. Like Target and Walmart and the rest of those people don't want your money. Applebee's doesn't want your money. Outback doesn't want your money. But the church wants your money. Okay. Side note. What is the church? Is it important? Do people even need to go to church anymore? Does it matter? Does it do anything for your life? And it is a very important question to answer. If you don't know the answer to that question, somebody can talk you out of it really quickly. And we know this as a culture, and uh, there's been many uh, research groups study the church and study church attendance, and we realize that it's gone down drastically in the past 10 years. Even people that used to be faithful to a church and go ongoingly have now stopped attending as much as they used to because they have more options than they've ever had before. There's more movies to go to than ever before. There's more TV shows to watch than ever before. There's more sports activities to go to than ever before. There's more hobbies and there's more things they can do on the weekend than ever before. So nowadays, even church people that used to be at every service 10 years ago, now this is true, I'm not making this up, there's been research done that it has been drastic in the drop of people going to church on a regular basis. Now, why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons why that is. But one of the main things is they never knew why they went in the first place. They never had revelation on the power of the church in the first place. They were just doing it to do it. Kind of like I've said this many times before, and I make no apologies about it. We live in the Bible Belt of the USA. So there is a common thing to go to church, even if you don't believe anything. You're going to go to church for the most part just because it's something that's common if you live in the Bible Belt. And there's a collective guilt if you don't go to church, especially in an area like where we live. So we know that there's people that go to church and they don't believe anything. They just go to go because they feel better about themselves. And they don't want other people to look down on them. But we realize the majority of the United States is not like the Bible Belt anymore. It's changing. There's no collective guilt. And trust me, you don't need to go to church for guilt anyways, but I'm saying... Um, majority of the United States of America is not becoming the Bible Belt anymore. It's becoming a more secular culture. So there is no pressure, and there's no motivation to go to church. So we got to talk about these things. Is the church important? Does it matter anyways? Well, it does, and it's important. I know if you've been here over the past couple weeks talking about the church, you realize how important the church is to God and how important church is to your own life because that is what God is using to change the world is the local church. The solution to the world's problems and the world's needs is the local church. The answer to the world's issues is the local church. And you're saying it's Jesus. It is Jesus, but he does it through his church. He is the head and we are the body. And guess what? Nothing's going to get done unless the body moves, unless the body does something. And he gave the authority to the church to do something. Some would say there's 2.2 billion believers on the planet right now. That's a large church. That's a powerful church. Couldn't you imagine if all 2.2 billion of those people decided to live like real Christ followers and really be the church that they're called to be, this world would be changed by next week. As easy as that. Come on, you go respond this morning. It would be done and over with if the church was really the church. You're saying, well, the world's in bad shape right now. You should see it without the church. <laughs> it's really not that bad compared to what it could be if the church wasn't here. And let me tell you about something also, and I've mentioned this in the past few weeks, but you need to renew your mind to the fact that the news is not going to tell you what's going right in the world. They're only going to tell you what's going wrong. They're not going to tell you about the church reaching people in countries that you never heard of this morning. They will never tell you about the church feeding and clothing people in islands that you've never heard of this morning. They will never tell you that the church is changing the world all around, not just in the United States, but in countries that have never even known God or had Bibles, and those nations are being changed by the power of God. Just because the United States has had some issues, the rest of the world and as a whole is in revival. 
And the United States is next if the church would just wake up. I was just telling dad this this morning, and you need to hear this because you're not going to hear it on the news. Yesterday, just yesterday, there was stuff going on all around the world and all around the United States that the church of Jesus Christ was making an impact just yesterday in Los Angeles in the huge Coliseum. There was 100,000 people praying and fasting for this nation yesterday, all day long. They didn't tell you that on the news, did they? And it was a huge group of people like Bethel Music and Jesus Culture and a lot of people that, that we honor and we love and we support was at this event, and it was called Azusa Now because they were celebrating. It's been 100-plus years since Azusa happened in Los Angeles, and they were praying for 15 hours straight yesterday, praising and worshiping God in a coliseum in the middle of Los Angeles. 100,000 people. Don't ever act like the church is insignificant just because you only see a couple people sitting next to you this morning. 100,000 people in downtown Los Angeles praying and fasting that God would move like he did in Azusa Street 100 plus years ago. I know yesterday, and you're not going to hear this on the news either, there were thousands and thousands of pastors from all over the world in Washington, D.C. praying for this country. Pastors. Praying about racial reconciliation for this nation. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian pastors from all over the world. They don't tell you that. Can I preach this morning? They don't tell you that on the news, do they? That was just one day yesterday. We're thinking, there's nothing going on. There's stuff going on all over this country and all over the world. And the church is doing mighty and powerful things. We just got to wake up and see something bigger than what we are experienced Monday through Saturday. The church is powerful. The church is important. The church is changing the world. And we get to be a part of it. Just because you don't see it every day, just because you go to your 9 to 5 job and sometimes you can't see beyond that, God is moving in this country, in this world, and He's doing it through His church. I don't know if you get anything this morning, are you? The church is the most powerful thing on the earth. The church is in authority. If the church only realized they're in authority, they're in charge. The reason the state the world, the world has been in is because the church a lot of times hasn't taken authority where they should have. But I feel like with all my heart that the church is waking up, not just around the world, but in the United States. And it's not waking up to fight people about dumb issues. It's waking up to love people and show them the power of God to change the United States and to change the world. That's what's going to change people. Not arguing about dumb stuff that you're never going to finish. It's the love and power of God that's going to change people. And that's what we have as the church. Woo! That's not on my notes. That was free. Make you give, you, give some extra money for those doors in the back, won't it? you got to realize that you're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. Today we're building something that will outlast us. It will outlive us. There's a lot of things in your life that are not going to outlive you. It's not going to outlast you. But what you do for Christ and his church will last. That's the only thing. That's why it's the only thing giving your life for, giving your money for, giving your time for, giving your treasure, giving your talents for. There's only one thing worth doing that for. It is Christ in His church. That's it. That's all that's going to matter in eternity. Your good grades, your CEO status, your money, your house, your dog, your cat. And trust me, cats go to hell anyways. They don't go to heaven. Anyways, isn't that the truth? Dogs make it, but cats probably don't. All right. No. <laughs> None of that's going to matter in the future. God bless Fluffy, but it's not going to matter in eternity. You're not going to see Fluffy in eternity anyways. You'll see Fido, but not Fluffy. I'm joking. I'm joking. Calm down. Come back. Come back, you cat people. Cats are demon-possessed. You didn't know that. 
there's no animal that acts that rude on purpose. It has to be demon-related that your cat acts that way. They could care less that you exist. What kind of animal does that? A demon-possessed one. Why did you get me off track? Okay, what was I saying? Okay, in light of eternity, it's not going to matter, but what matters is what's done for Christ and His church. That's what's going to matter. And we need to, not just on Sundays, but every day of our lives, start thinking in light of eternity. When you go through your day and you prioritize your life, does your priorities reflect eternity? Or just what's temporary? Because they should reflect what's going to be important in eternity, your daily schedule. Not something that's going to fade away in 10, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, or even when you pass on and go to heaven. What's going to matter? It's what's done for Christ and His church. You still here this morning? So Matthew 16 and verse 18. Well, we had a good time already. (laughs) Matthew 16, verse 18, it says, I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus takes it personally. This is his church. His church. It's interesting that when uh, Paul, who used to be Saul, was persecuting the church, he was stoning the church, he was killing Christians. When Jesus knocked him off his donkey and appeared to him, Jesus said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus and his church are one. And if somebody picks on the church, they're picking on Jesus. Can I just throw in a side note here? When you criticize other churches, whether you think you're right or not, you're criticizing Jesus because it's his church and he takes it personally. I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about every church. When you're critical of other churches and it's none of your business, which 100% of the time is none of your business, Jesus takes it personally. You are being critical of him because Jesus and his church are one. That's why he said, hey, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He said, I didn't do anything to you, Jesus. And he said, well, you're killing my church, so you're doing it to me. Jesus takes it personal. He has personal ownership of the church. The gift that the Father gave His Son was the church. Jesus and His church are one. It says that the church is the bride of Christ. It says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus loves the church and He gave Himself for the church. So if we love Jesus, we're going to love what He loves. And we're going to give to what he gives to. We've had so many people say this. I love Jesus, but not the church. You can't say that. It doesn't work. Because Jesus and the church are one. And if Jesus loves the church and gave himself for the church, if you love him, you'll love it and you'll give your life for it. Because it's important to him. So the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves it. He gave himself for it. He purchased it. Jesus is only building one thing on the planet, and that is the local church. You're saying, well, isn't he building other things? No, he's building his church. Now, if you align your life with his church, he'll build your life. But he's not just building your life just so you can do what you want. He's not just promoting your life just so you can live a happy, fun life. He does that when people align themselves with what he's building, which is the local church. And we have a part to play in that, and it's important. And if you were here last week, you understand what I'm talking about because we talked about pebbles and boulders and about that we play a part in this building that God is building, which is the house of God. He is the foundation, but we are bricks that make up this building. And we all got to be in the right place if we're going to make an impact. We all got to be where we need to be for this whole house and whole structure to be strengthened we got to do our part too and notice when I say we got to do our part it's not like 
Okay. Sure. That reminds you of ministry helps attitude. All right. I'll do it if I have to. No, you get to. God gave you the greatest opportunity of your entire life to be a part of building the local church. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's not a duty. It's not something to think, oh, yeah, if I got enough energy or if I can make it. No, it's the most important thing you can do all week long is to build the house of God. Come on, somebody. You ain't responding this morning. And we need to renew our mind to the fact that this is a privilege and it's an honor and it's the best opportunity that you get all week long is to be a part of building the house of God. Not something like, yeah, if I can make it, I'll make it. If I don't have another priority, I'll be there. I'll try to work you in if if I can help out for a special meeting. If my plans align with that. No, the church should be first. God should be first. What he's doing should be first. And notice, when you put him first, like we talked about at the beginning of the year, everything in your life comes in line. Hopefully you're getting something this morning. The church is what he's building. In John 2, in verse 17, you could just write this down. John 2, 17. Jesus said in the New Living Translation, John 2, 17, Jesus said, passion for God's house has consumed me. Passion for God's house has consumed me. If that same Jesus is living on the inside of you, then that statement ought to show up in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? I'm getting looks, not amens, and I need amens. If that same Jesus is living on the inside of you, which you say he is, then this statement, passion for God's house, consumed him. And if he's on the inside, then passion for God's house is going to consume you. (laughs) Maybe you haven't renewed your mind to that fact, but on the inside, your desires and your passion should be going towards the house of God. It's the best place to be. You know, a day, David, a man after God's own heart. We all know David. He's probably the most significant person in the Bible other than Jesus. And David was a man after God's own heart. And if you read the Psalms, if you read his life, what do you hear time and time again? David is constantly talking about, I'm glad that I'm going to the house of God. I'm excited about being in God's house. I'm thrilled that I get to be honored to be in the house of God. You hear that time after time because David loved God's house. And David was a man after God's own heart. You you see in one scripture, he says, I'd rather scrub floors in the house of God than be an esteemed person in a wealthy mansion with celebrities. He says, I'd rather just work in God's house. I'd rather hold the doors in God's house. I'd rather be a greeter in God's house. I'd rather... Do anything in God's house than be anywhere else. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. He loved God's house. He loved God's ways. God promoted his life, and he was a man who loved the house of God. Let's not forget that. He had passion for God's house to the place that we realize that later on in David's life, he saved up millions and millions and maybe even billions of dollars because he was the king to build God's house. So he didn't just say, you know, I love God's house but didn't do anything. He saved up money for years and years and years so when his son took over, he would have money to build God's house. And if you know anything about the temple in that day, it was a lot more elaborate than these buildings that we see here. We're talking marble. We're talking gold, everything. We're talking silver. We're talking precious jewels. We're talking a structure that would be worth billions and billions of dollars in today's money. That's how much he loved God's house. He didn't just say, I love it. He did something with his actions. You still here this morning? You still glad you're here this morning? There we go. That's, that's the main question that needs to be answered. So we see that David was passionate about God's house. He worked in God's house, he worshipped in God's house, he gave in God's house. David loved the house of God. Let's look over at Ephesians. Ephesians. I'm glad you're here this morning. Ephesians 5. 
Well, Ephesians 4. I'm enjoying myself so far. Ephesians 4. We're going to talk about a few things this morning pertaining to growing up. Ephesians 4. I know everybody's pumped. Like, yes. Yes. Maturity, correction, growing up. Yes. Fun. Ephesians 4. If you see it the right way, you will say fun. But most of us, it's not a fun topic usually. Ephesians 4. And we see here that in Ephesians 4 and verse 8, it says that when Jesus was ascended, he gave gifts to men. And it goes on and says in verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we see here that God gave the church gifts. Now, he talks about these five different gifts that help the church. And we're going to read through this passage because there's a lot of things that these gifts, if received, will grow you up. And will do so many things for your life that you can't get apart from the church. Let me say this before we go any further. You can grow by yourself, but not to the same level you can with the church. You should be growing when you're outside of church. God should be speaking to you when you're not here. But there is things, and I'm not going to apologize for this because this is what the Word says. There is things you can't get by yourself. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm just talking about maturity-wise, there's things that you can't get by yourself. Why? Because God said so. God said in His Word that yes, you can grow by yourself, but you're only going to grow so far because you need other people and you need these gifts to speak into your life to grow you up. And you can't fully grow yourself up or mature yourself. In the same way, your child, I'm about to preach. Parents, where are you at? Your child cannot raise themselves, can they? Where are you at, parents and grandparents? Your child cannot raise themselves. And we've seen children that tried to raise themselves. They're a mess. They're crazy. So let's think about this. We don't do that in the natural. God's not an irresponsible parent. He's going to put people in our life that's going to help us grow up. Are you here? I can tell you're getting excited a little bit. We need other people in our lives. And how many know that most of us in here are not going to be completely honest with ourselves on where we're missing it? Come on now. Come on now. Don't leave me hanging up here. That's the truth. And there's certain things in your life that you won't call out that somebody else will. That's why you need other people in your life to grow up. Because there's certain things in our life that we will avoid the rest of our lives if we're by ourselves. But then God puts gifts into your life to call out those things, not because they're mad, not because they're angry at you, because God wants you to grow up. And God wants to help you do that, so he puts other people that can see things that you don't see in your life to help you mature and grow up. you still here this morning. So we need other people to help us. We can't do it by ourselves. And he gives us these five gifts. He gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Notice, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, we see here that the reason you come to church is so that you can be equipped to fulfill your own ministry. This is kind of an old school church mentality that's creeped in many years ago. Not just in this church, but in all churches. That... These five ministry gifts are the only people really in the ministry. 
So they're really doing the work of the ministry, and we're just watching them do the work of the ministry. But the Bible says you come to church for these ministry gifts to help equip you, all of you, I'm pointing to every one of you, equip you to do the work of the ministry in your own life outside of these four walls. That's a different way of looking at it. Instead of, I'm just going to come to church to sit and watch a pastor do the ministry. No, you come to sit so the pastor can equip you to do your ministry. Are you here this morning? So you're not just coming to come. You're coming to be trained for your own ministry. You're coming to be equipped. And notice it says edified. That means to build up your own life so that you can fulfill the call of God on your life. Not let's just come and watch pastors and preachers fulfill their call. That's not what the church is about. So we need to understand this. Every person in this room and every member of not just the local church, but the global church is a minister. Every one of you has a ministry. That doesn't mean you're a pastor. That doesn't mean you're an apostle, but it does mean you have a call of God on your life to do something. And it's most of the time outside of these four walls, but it's still as significant as what is happening right now. And so when you come to church, you should be excited because you're not just learning about what the pastor does. You're learning about what you can do with your life. And people like myself that are part of these ministry gifts are here to equip you or train you and build you up that when you go out of this place, Monday through Saturday, you can fulfill your own ministry and do what God has called you to do. That's a different way of looking at it. But that's what the Bible says. He says that you would be, the saints would be equipped for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, that means the building up. Of the body of Christ, which we know the body of Christ is the church. You guys still here? It's okay if we teach a little bit, isn't it? Verse 13, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When it says to a perfect man, it really means a mature man. Because we realize this side of heaven, nobody's going to be perfect but Jesus. But it does mean that we can mature to this place as the church. And it says that we would mature to that man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the first thing we want to talk about is this. Why do you come to church? For maturity. You come to church so you can mature as a believer in Jesus. We all know this, that just because you get older doesn't make you mature. There's people that are 80 years old, but are not mature. So just because all of us get older doesn't mean we're growing up. Just because we get taller doesn't mean we're maturing. Just because we've even been in church a while doesn't mean we're becoming mature in God. That's where these ministry gifts come in because it says that Jesus wants his body or his church to be mature and to be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It implies that his church needs to grow up to fulfill its calling. You personally need to grow up to fulfill your calling. We know that when you're born again, it says you're spiritual babies. All of us are spiritual babies when we get born again. We, we ask Jesus into our heart. So that means if he says we're babies, we're going to need to grow up. And that doesn't happen on accident. It happens on purpose. And we see that we know that the word of God helps us grow personally. But these five ministry gifts help us grow. That we can become adults spiritually. 
we can become mature spiritually and fulfill everything God has called us to fulfill. You realize if the church, not just locally, but globally, is all babies, we're never going to fulfill everything God has called us to fulfill. He has to have a mature church to do the things that needs to be done. So you need a church so you can grow up. You can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. We all need to have people in our life, friends, of course, that can talk to us straight. But we need to have these five ministry gifts, which are not just natural, but supernatural, that can call things out in our life, and we won't get offended. We won't leave. We won't pout because we realize we need to grow up. Including me. I need people talking to me too. We're all in this thing together. We're all growing together. You know, the the problem is not that we're immature. The problem is when we refuse to grow up. Because we realize the rest of our lives, all of us in here, we're all going to be continually growing in God. There's never going to be a place for the rest of our life where God says, you're perfect, done. Just stop going to church. Wing it the rest of your life. Just sit on the porch. Forget about it. Never. That's never going to happen. So we realize the rest of our life we're going to be growing and growing and growing. So it's not a problem that we're immature right now. It's a problem if we refuse to let people grow us up. So we need the church because we all need maturity. We realize that there's certain things that we can't get from God unless we're mature because we can't handle it. There's certain things in the Bible that we can't understand if we're not mature. And we know this. We, we've been taught very well in this church, haven't we? Come on, Dr. Jacobs is sitting right there. Say something. All right. I've got to help you guys today. <laughs> so we've been taught so well, but you realize he could only teach the things he's taught in this church because there's been a level of maturity. That at some other churches, he might not be able to say those same things because they couldn't receive it. So we need to mature. We need to grow up. So why do we come to church? Because we need to grow up. And we need help to grow up. You need to come to church also. Why is the church important? Because of responsibility. When you come to church, and we've been talking about it all this morning, you need to be reminded that you are a responsible person in the body of Christ. That you're responsible for the kingdom of God. You're responsible for the success of the church. You are responsible and have a part to play in what God is doing. And how many know we get cluttered up with stuff all week long and sometimes forget it? We forget that we're a part of the church. We forget that we actually have a call of God on our life and we're not just living a natural life. We're living something supernatural. And you come to church to be reminded, hey, you got responsibility here. Wake up. Realize that there's a call of God on your life and you have an important part to play in the kingdom of God. And so when we come to church, we're reminded, hey, we got a responsibility. We got a job to play. We got a ministry to be fulfilled. We got a big thing that we're a part of and it's the church. And so when we come to church, we're reminded we got responsibility. So we see that maturity happens in church. And we need that. We all need that in here. Responsibility happens. Another thing that happens is it says that till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We come to church to get into unity. We know that God's blessings are poured out in unity. If you read the book of Acts, every time that God moved... It always said they were in one accord and in one place. They were of one heart and one soul and one mind. They were all in unity. And if God's going to move on this earth, his church has to be in unity. And it can't happen if we're not here together. So you need to come to church for unity. Watch 
in your life, when you get in unity with what God is doing, how that makes peace and unity in your own personal life. So we come to church for maturity, for responsibility, for unity. Because the church is only effective if we're all in this together. We're of one heart, one soul, one mind, one accord. That's where it says in the Psalms, the blessing of God is poured out when there's unity. When brothers and sisters in Christ walk together in unity. It says that's where the anointing is poured out. That is where the blessing is poured out. That is where life is poured out when there's a spirit of unity. Before we talk about this last thing, and we'll close, preacher joke. I don't know how serious I was when I said that. (laughs) With unity, you realize that there's never going to come a day where the entire global church believes exactly the same thing. That's never going to happen. But that's not important. But there will come a day where everybody in the body of Christ is in unity about the things that matter. And like we said the other week, the thing that matters at the end of the day is we all believe that Jesus is God. And Jesus is the only way. We can talk about styles of dress. We can talk about styles of music. We can talk about, do you pray in tongues? Do you not pray in tongues? Do you do this? Do you take communion this way? Do you baptize this way? Who cares at the end of the day? No reason to argue over it. But there will come a day that the body of Christ might not agree on everything, but we'll agree on the main things. And when we come into unity like that, That's when the church will be mature and change this world. When we're in that kind of unity. Something that was interesting yesterday, I was watching some of the live stream of this Azusa Now, is that when they had this whole day of prayer and fasting, that there was people from every walk of Christianity. They had uh, Christians from uh, the Navajo Reservation. They had Christians that were from a Jewish background. They had Christians... Uh, you know, who were part of the Catholics and the Baptists and the Methodists and the Pentecostals. They had Christians from every part of the church. And the thing that was important, they can all agree on one thing. Let's set aside everything else that's a secondary issue anyways and agree on the main thing. And that's Jesus. And that's his church. So we need unity. So let's read here in verse Ephesians 4 and verse 14. It says that we should no longer, notice, be children. Why, why are we no longer children? Because we've matured. We've grown up. Notice, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man. Verse 15, let's jump down there. But speaking the truth in love, notice that we may grow up into all things who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, notice every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. But notice it says right here that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. So here's another reason why you need church. It brings stability. It brings stability. I've never, ever, ever, ever seen a stable believer who is not a part of a local church. Ever. I'm basing that off of 28 years and 9 months of experience. I've never, ever seen that. Because it can't happen. Because you can't be a stable, solid, sound person without your roots down in the local church. It won't happen. That's why you see, when people get out of church, why is their life like this? Blown up around like every wind of doctrine. 
And that's what he uses, that example. You'll be tossed to and fro like something on the ocean who has no stability. That's what your life is like. Or you'll be like, you know, if you threw paper up in the wind and it was just blowing everywhere. That's what your life is like without the church. That's what it's like. That's what the scripture says. That's what experience tells me also. That your life will be tossed to and fro. And you'll believe even lies that people say because you have no. Are you trying to preach my message right here? Come on, right here. Come on, stability. (laughs) You'll be tossed to and fro. You'll be like something in the wind that you'll never be stable. You'll never be solid. Because the church brings stability that you can't get by yourself. We need to be stable people. Unstable people, guess what, are not attractive to lost people. Because they're unstable also. Oh, let me see. You're just as messed up as I am? Cool, I want what you have. You're unstable too? Come on now. Our stability as followers of Jesus is attractive to the world who's being tossed to and fro by the news, by the music, by the culture, by philosophy. Their life is just up in the wind like that, but when they see stability, they're attracted to that because that's what they want. And let's be honest, that's what all of us in here want. We want something that's stable and sound and solid where we can put our roots down in the local church. And when you're a part of a church, why do you need a church? Because you need stability, and you can't get that by yourself. A lovely illustration Brother Sean mentioned to me years ago. There is believers in the body of Christ that are not tree believers that are rooted down. They're tumbleweed Christians. You ever met some of them? Tumbleweed Christians go wherever the wind blows. Wherever. You know why? Because they never put any roots down to be able to grow up. And you know what? Nobody thinks about cutting a tumbleweed down because it's insignificant. But they do think about cutting a tree down because trees are different than tumbleweeds. Trees have put their roots down and they're stable. And that's what you're like without a local church. You're a tumbleweed believer. You're blown wherever the wind blows you. Whatever church blow you over here, blow you over there. Oh, there's a new book? Oh, let's get it. I have no idea who this person is, but let's get it. I heard it's awesome. Blow you over here, blow you over there. There's no stability in your life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a tumbleweed Christian or a roller coaster Christian. I don't want to be like a Christian who's tossed to and fro in the ocean. I need some stability. And you need some stability. Let's look at Psalms 92. This will be the last verse. So there's a lot of reasons why we need church, why church is important. This is just a beginner list here I gave you today. So we need maturity, we need responsibility, we need unity, but we also need stability in our lives. And we get those things because that's God's way of doing it through His church. Psalm 92 in verse... Twelve. Psalm 92 and verse 12. We're still talking about stability. The church makes you stable. You're not tossed to and fro. You're not blown down by every wind of doctrine. You're stable. You're sound. You're solid. You're not getting blown over. Psalm 92 and verse 12, it says, Notice, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, and he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13, listen to this. Those who are planted in the house of God. 
Notice, they're planted. Planted. That means your roots have gone down deep into the soil of the church and you're planted. That means you're stable. That means when the winds of life try to blow you down, you have your roots down so you're not going anywhere because you're planted in the house of God. We need that stability. When the storms of life come, which they will come, you'll find out who's really planted and who's not. Because the planted trees are the ones that stand when life gets hard. They're the ones that stay solid when life gets rough. Because they have roots that go down deep. And notice it says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. It goes on to say in verse 14, They shall still bear fruit in old age. Come on, 50 plus. Go ahead. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Notice that's for people who are planted. Not for just believers that get older. We're talking about believers that are planted. That's what the fruit will be. Is they will still bear fruit in old age. Because they're planted. Notice they shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. But I love that. Notice those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish. Notice your life will flourish when you get planted in the house of God. It says that you'll bear fruit even in old age. Notice when you're planted in the house of God. That's the church. It says that you'll be fresh or we could say you'll be refreshed in the house of God. Ever seen somebody who hadn't been in church in a while? They're nasty. Isn't that the truth? You're nasty when you get out of church for a while. I'll say amen to that. Because we need the church. And you don't realize what's happening today. You're getting refreshed whether you realize it or not this morning. You're flourishing today that helps you live the rest of your week because you're planted in the house of God. So it says you'll flourish. You'll bear fruit. That means you'll have results in your life when other people don't. You'll be refreshed and you'll be flourishing. Why? Because you've been planted in the house of God. Did you guys get anything this morning? Woo. I gave everything I had. (laughs) So we need the church. We never get too old for the church. Or we could say, because I deal with high schoolers, you're never too grown for the church. Because we're always going to be growing. We're always going to be changing. And we need the church. The church is important. The church is the best thing we can be a part of. Did you guys receive that today?